0: instructing Timothy to find another generation of men who are able to find a fourth generation. So that's God's program. Thank you, Freak. God's program of multiplication for the ministry, for discipleship. And he talks about four generations. You entrusting to your Timothy, whoever, whomever God gives you, who in turn finds a faithful man who will be able to teach another man, four generations. That's the plan of God. That's His marketing scheme for spreading His Word and, and making disciples. That the majority of... and it's not the only way, but that's that seems to be the, the method of operation that I've observed in my 21 years of, of how we make disciples. This is not uh, certainly an exhaustive, exhaustive list of the Scriptures uh, but, but I just wanted to give you a, a taste of that and, and hopefully we're all in agreement on that um, Let's move along Stephen Bless you Reasons we don't follow the call This is where I need your help And, and I want you to be candid with me If I were to take a poll of this group of men, and I were to ask you, how many of you disagree with this biblical premise that we are called to be disciple-makers, that we are called to entrust to faithful men? My guess would be, I'd be surprised if one of you raised your hand and said, I disagree with that. There might be one or two, but I would suggest that by far there, there's, the majority of us would be in agreement on that. But feel free to disagree if, if, if you want. But <laughs> Who's going to do that now, Martin? <laughs> if I continued with that, that poll of you, and don't raise your hands, okay? And I said to you, how many of you are currently engaged in discipling another man? How many of you have a Timothy right now? I I think, I think we might be a little bit embarrassed by the response. Am I right? Yeah. 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 So obviously, because you don't have a man right now, there's probably a reason in your mind. And so what I want you to do is help me, and let's, let's go through these list of reasons why you do not have a man you're currently discipling. Or have you ever discipled another man? So help me out. What are some of the reasons? Too busy? Here's an honest man. What else? Come on. We don't we know what? Don't we know not, equipped? not equipped? Not equipped. That's a good one. I love that one. That's one of my favorites. I'm going to put a star by that and an asterisk. That's, that's a great one. What else? I would just add that too busy uh, focused on earthly treasures. Temporal focus. You're starting to meddle a little bit there. What else? Leave it to the pros, right? Can I use that word? Yeah. Okay. Let pros do it. No offense to you pastors out there. We're going to circle back on that in a minute. What else? Here. Andy, I'm sorry. Huh? There's no Timothy, there's, there's no Timothy for me. What do you mean? There's nobody for me to disciple. You don't know any non-believers? Right, yeah. I haven't found anybody yet. Can't find a guy. Don't know believers. Don't know believers or non believers. Don't know anybody. You know, living in Michigan, that's almost believable.
1: Oh, man.
0: Is the Michigan home of the second best school in the Big Ten? Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what's that about? Who are you high fiving for? The Ohio State? Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. You got a better idea? Jeremy. Uh, we, we anticipate a no, so we don't ask. As Fear, of Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. My goodness. Sorry?
1: Too messy.
0: Sorry? Uh, too, too messy. what else fear of rejection we, we uh, fear of being rejected no, we, we got that over here I'm sorry yeah we have that That's, it's probably worth mentioning twice though because <laughs> Stephen not good, not good enough does that follow the heading of not equipped or is that a different category different. Expand on that a little. Give them a microphone so they can hear him over here. I I, I, I want it. Pardon me. Here he goes. No. The trades are having a battle over here. Okay. We're... I'm not good enough. A- and why? Why? Because I'm still a sinner. Okay. Not good enough. W- what else? Would that be like not equipped? Oh, I'm sorry, not praying. That's why we need the microphone, if you, if you could, guys. I know it's a little awkward, but not praying. That's a good one. I th- if I understand what you... You got a mic that's live. I want him to expand on that just a minute, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. You got it? Yeah, I got it. All right. What do you mean, not praying?
2: We need to be uh, praying for our man... Actively, you know, praying, praying to God to give us a man.
0: Okay, you, you, you you're just not looking for him. You okay? Go ahead. Who's next? Wife doesn't support it. What? Who said that? Wife doesn't support it. I've not heard that one. That's a good one. Am I? On? Sure.
3: Yes, sir. I haven't been discipled myself. I haven't first been discipled.
0: Haven't been discipled yourself. Okay. What else? Just can't get anyone to say yes. Can't get anyone to say yes. I'm almost afraid to write that down. Did you hear that? He, he doesn't want to do it. Don't want to do it. As an extension of um, that, it hasn't been we have we haven't had anybody disciple us. There's no modeling. We don't know what it looks like. We will out. Like we might be doing it, but we don't call people to commitments and we don't push them too far. So you don't follow through? So we don't follow through? You drop a guy?
2: Do it half-hearted.
0: No follow-through. Half-hearted. Are there more? Didn't you say that, Dale? Something like that. Yeah, okay. It's close. Yeah, Don.
2: Uh, if you're not sure of... You can't reproduce if you're not sure of your salvation
0: and your position in Christ. Not sure of your own salvation. Yeah, you probably don't want to reproduce after your own kind there. We can do that on our own. Any others you want to? Yes, sir. We need a mic or they won't hear you. Uh, a, couple, a couple of things. The, uh, yeah. no.
3: The, uh, uh, it's, it's inefficient
0: because I could, uh, you know, teach twenty guys in a Bible class and waste all that time on one guy. Uh, and besides that, my church has all these programs, and uh, they're discipling people through programs. So it's the job of the church corporate,
3: but not me to take on individually.
0: So the church already has the programs. Why duplicate it? Just bring them to the church and let them do it.
3: Yeah, when I show you our when I show you our premises, I say here's here's the rooms where the discipling takes place.
0: This is our discipling. You program. have a discipling room? Oh, all of our classrooms are discipling. Oh, okay. that's where they. So he had a disciples. special room for discipling. Okay. Anything else? I suspect I suspect we could fill another page if we really worked at it. Are you starting to see the issue of why you may not have a man? Everybody can find an excuse. I took a poll I took a poll from a a Tuesday morning study I'd been teaching for 20 years And I believe it to be pretty scientific because the age range in there is from about 25 years of age to about 87. And the time in the kingdom for these guys ranges from about six months to, I don't know, probably 50 plus years. So that's pretty scientific. And these guys I know. And so I took this poll last week from them just to kind of be prepared for some of the answers I might get for you. And it's amazing how they kind of stack up the same. So Stephen, here's the results of that scientific survey. Not equipped, fear of rejection, don't know anyone, don't want to offend anybody, it's too confrontational, not my calling. I didn't hear anybody say that. I like that one too. You guys are smarter than to try and play that card. It's not taught in the churches. The churches don't teach us how to disciple. Uh, People's lives are busy. Uh, We've made it complicated. We are not being intentional about it. And I asked the gentleman what he meant, and he says, we're not purposing in our mind to say, I need a guy to disciple, Uh, Lord, send me somebody, and then be on the lookout. For somebody. And then as somebody pointed out back here, can't remember who it was, the implication or the model is that discipleship is for the professional. I just take him to my pastor and let him do all the work. So they're not thinking a whole lot differently than what you guys are thinking on the excuses. I want to make just a couple of personal observations on this. This deal of not not being intentional about it really, really resonated with me. Because a long time ago, uh, I was taught that one of the things I needed to do with my mindset was to begin to think lost. Now, I know we're talking about discipleship. And so, that typically implies we're working with a believer. But usually, before you have a believer, you need a convert. Would you agree? And so, in the process of thinking lost, in other words, recognizing that every encounter with an individual is a providential encounter. It does not happen by accident. And then you ask yourself, in the silence of your mind as you're listening to this individual, where are they spiritually? And you try to tune into, is this person spiritually lost? Are they a non-believer? If they are a non-believer, what is our role with them? Evangelism. Remember the E-squared? So it's either evangelism. Is that right, G-I-L or is it G E L? G E L, I never get that right. If they're lost, then our the focus of that relationship with Jesus Christ at the center of that relationship, the focus is evangelism. Looking for the opportunity to share Christ with it. Are you being intentional about that? If, in fact, we find out they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but they haven't done anything with it, or even if they have, what's the focus of our relationship? Edification. Discipleship. We take them to the next level. How do we raise the bar? Not for the purpose of having them jump through hoops, but for the purpose of of allowing them to grow closer and closer in their relationship with God. What's the purpose? Why is the reason we study Scripture? Because we can become more knowledgeable? No. What is it? Yeah, no God. No more of the character of God. So this being intentional or thinking lost is something I wanted to encourage you on. Where's the one that I put the double star by? I think, Free, did you say that? Which one was it? Not equipped? Yeah, I love that one. It's my favorite. Um, If you'll permit me just a little bit of a personal example. 21 years ago this month, I came to Christ. The guy that led me to Christ as he drove away off in the sunset said uh, two things, Mark, I want you to do. One, I want you to tell somebody before you go to bed tonight. And secondly... I want you to call me in a couple days. Let me know how you're doing. And I'd like to meet with you in this little one-on-one study called Operation Timothy. It's designed to get you into the Bible so you can find out answers in your own life as to what God would have you do in relation to raising your family, running your business. He said, just, just give me a call. And, and so I followed through on that, and I gave him a call Next week I met with him, and and he showed me that little Operation Timothy book, and we started to go through the first chapter. The following week, now I'm two weeks out now, right, from accepting Christ, one of my agents comes into my office, and he starts laying out his life to me, telling me about all of the problems, and his marriage is going sideways, and he's not a happy camper. And I said, gee, Larry, funny you should mention that, Same conversation I had with this guy two weeks ago. He said, Well, what happened? I said, Well, I'm glad you asked that. Let me tell you. He shared Jesus Christ with me and said, All I need to do, and and we went through the, he went through the gospel. I went through it with him. I said, If you just surrender your life to Christ, He'll take all that burden off of you, forgive your sins, you'll have new life in Christ. Larry looked at me and said, Well, can I do that? I said, Sure so I was really polished at that point point. Uh, and, and so I led him to Christ and so we're sitting there at my table in my office looking at one another and he says what do I do next I said two things you tell somebody before you go to bed tonight okay and, see me in a couple days, I'd like, this, this guy that I'm meeting with, he said I should get into meeting with him one-on-one, and this little thing called Operation Timothy, I met with him last week, really looks great, the Bible helps you answer all these questions you have in your life. Larry says, well, do you think he'd meet with me? I said, well, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. So I get on the phone right then, and I call up this guy, and I explain to him what had happened, and I'm all excited, right? I mean, it's pretty easy stuff.
1: <laughs>
0: I didn't—I didn't know it was called evangelism then, but, but I said it's pretty easy, and I—and and I just knew because this guy had taken an interest in me, he'd probably have the same heart for Larry. And I said, "Would it be all right, Don, if I bring Larry with me next week?" And he said, "No." <laughs> And I was kind of taken back a little bit. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you take him through Timothy. I said, Don, I just started this myself. I don't know anything. He says, Mark, all you got to do is stay one week ahead of him. You do not have to be equipped to disciple. So, I did stay a week ahead of him, Carrie. We had a great time. As far as I know, he's still walking with the Lord. He 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 moved back to Missouri, but uh, last I heard from him, he's he's still being faithful. So I, I don't buy that excuse, you're not equipped. Now, that is no excuse for you to be slack about your maturing in your walk with God. But God can use you right where you are. Here is my fear for myself and for you. In James chapter 1, verse 22, what does it say? Anybody get that memorized? I don't want to put you on the spot. Somebody look it up then. I want you to read it, and with the microphone, please. Read verses 22 through 24.
1: Uh, number three. Three? Yeah. Uh, the it's, no.
0: Pretend Hello? it's a, a okay. plastic uh, spatula. Just beat that thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the general. <All>
1: right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> 22 to 24? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself,
0: goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Thank you. So, so my fear for all of us is that we do not delude ourselves, that we not, not merely just hear the Word, but we become doers of it. Let's apply what we've learned. This is not rocket science. God's Word, I think, is, is pretty clear on most of the issues particularly in this area of evangelism and edification. How about it's not my calling? That's another one I like. You know guys with the spiritual gift of evangelism? Anybody know somebody with the spiritual gift of evangelism? Yeah. Boy, they just knock off guys like flies. You're sitting by one back there. Right? Right? Well, he wouldn't admit it. You say, well, he's got the spiritual gift of evangelism. Let him do the evangelism part. It's too confrontational. He makes it look easy. What does Scripture tell us about the purpose of spiritual gifts? To glorify God. To put others. Okay. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? I'm sorry, somebody said it back there. Who who said it? Edify the body. Last time I checked, the body is made up of believers. Evangelism is for the non-believer. If the guy with the spiritual gift of evangelism, he's called to use that to encourage you and I. Not to use it on the non-believer, although it does take on the non-believer. But the purpose of that gifting, as I understand it, is to encourage you and I. So that we can follow our calling, which is evangelism and discipleship. So I would suggest to you, it's a cop-out if you say evangelism or this discipleship is not my calling. I don't have the spiritual gift for it doesn't make any difference. We're all called for it. We all have the same marching orders. We're all in the same army. I hate to use that term coming from the Marine Corps, but we're all in the same army. We have a fear of engaging. And gentlemen, we are in a spiritual battle. And if you want to be followers of Christ in His army, then you better engage in the battle. Lee said earlier, evangelism. 1 Peter 3.15, he says, he's learned to play defense. You don't have to be on offense. You don't have to be offensive. But last time I checked, if you're in the game, whether on offense or defense, you got to be engaged. Even on defense, you got to be engaged in the game, don't you? It is not a passive situation. You've got to be thinking lost. <clears throat> Do you have ever seen one of these? Ten Most Wanted? I guess they don't call them Ten Most Wanted here anymore, but they're ten a list of ten guys that you pray for for their salvation. Has anybody seen these? They're on the table back there. If you haven't used them, I'd encourage you to use them. And you just put down ten guys that God has laid on your heart, that God has brought across your path, and you start praying for them. You pray for their salvation. You want to, you want to be able to find somebody? Ask God to send you somebody. He's faithful. Now, part of your, your role in this, though, is as he sends them to me, to you, you've got to be aware. You've got to be thinking lost. Where is this guy spiritually? Or you'll blow by him at 150 miles an hour and won't even see him. You can't be wrapped up in the world. You've got to be having a temporal mindset. Why am I here? So just a little tool, but if you haven't used it, God is faithful. and We, we could tell you stories all night about what, what's happened with this little card. Just another, another tool. It's not a hoop to jump through something, maybe it'll help, just help get you in the the right mindset. So let's move on to the next point, Stephen. Biblical equipping to follow the call. And again, uh, gentlemen, this is not an exhaustive list. Many of these scriptures we've already covered in in this retreat, but I just wanted to, to pause on a couple of them. I need somebody with a microphone to read that 1 Corinthians passage. It's a little long, but I want to read the whole thing just to kind of get it in context. So who's a volunteer that will, will read that for us? 1 Corinthians starts in chapter 1 at verse 17 and runs through chapter 2, verse 5. Who's got a microphone? Lee, are, are you ready? needs a microphone. Can you hand him a microphone? Wait, are we on? No. Swatted.
3: I thought the Chinese were good with those electronics. For Christ, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, for, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the cult, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your own calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ And him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Thank you, Lee. 17. Paul says Christ didn't send me to baptize,
0: He sent me to preach the gospel and not in cleverness of speech. I want to focus on 18 and then on verse 5. In 18 it says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. What is the word of the cross? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Word of the cross. Look over at chapter 2. Verse 2. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the short version. If you want the long version, turn back to chapter 15. Here's the long version 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. This is the long version. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the long version. How tough can this be? What is that word, that word, the word of the cross? I looked it up in in, in the uh, Greek. Logos. Something said, including the thought or topic also reasoning, extension, so it literally applies to a thought, and the King James, they use the words, speech, talk, preaching is another word they interchange for that. Where do we find the word of the cross? This is easy now, right here, right? It's in the book, Okay so it says if you get into this book you're going to find the word of the cross You find a lot of other words of God too what does it say about that word of the cross it says it's foolishness to the guys that aren't elect okay but to the elect to those Easter eggs out there that we haven't found yet what is it it is the power of God power from the Greek dunamis it is described as a force or miraculous power dynamite the message of the gospel the word is dynamite to those that are being it'll move them it'll penetrate to their very soul and spirit If you look over in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, When I came to you, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech or wisdom. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Four: and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Does that sound like he feels like he's well-equipped? Can any of us identify with that? We're we're there in weakness weakness and fear and much trembling. Do you ever get butterflies when you get a chance to share the gospel or you confront a guy about how are you doing in your walk? Would you like to get involved in a bible study? Do Do you feel a little bit inadequate? Sounds to me that's the position Paul found himself in. He was an apostle. But what did he understand? He understood where the dynamite was, where the power was. Verse 5, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of Lee or Winston or Walt or Mark, but on the power of God. So you want to be equipped? Use the word. Hebrews 4, 12. Flip over there. Somebody got that with a microphone? who's, who's got it? Okay.
1: Hebrews four twelve. For the word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into the innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are.
0: My translation says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I thought it was interesting that God compares his word to a sword. Do you know anything about swords? In the Marine Corps, you know I had to come up with that, didn't you, Brett? You see this commercial on TV, and the guy's there in his dress blues, and then he's got that that sword. That's a double-edged sword. What's the purpose of a double-edged sword? Do you know? Well, you'd think it could go either way and that's part of it, but even more importantly, it will go deeper. If you hit somebody with a double-edged sword, without a double-edged sword, it might go into the bone, but it won't necessarily get into the marrow. And what do we know about the marrow? That's the, that's the part where the life is. That's, that's the part that supports the bone. That's all that life-giving marrow in there that carries the blood supply. So if you want to really disable your opponent, you want a double-edged sword because it'll take his leg off if you, if you do it properly. God says His Word is like a double-edged sword. You want to get down to the very soul and spirit of a man? Use His Word. You don't need persuasive words. You just need the Word. about three months after I came to Christ, and and I'd been introduced to these uh, outreach luncheons right away. The guy that discipled me just plugged me in right away. Uh, I didn't know any better, and so I started inviting guys to the outreach luncheon. And I was about three or four months into my walk, and I decided to invite my neighbor to an outreach luncheon. We were buddies, known one another for several years, did a lot of stuff together, really tight, and, and I just wanted him to... Pumped, so we do office calling too. Great, you know, it, it'd be like uh, Dale and Joe, you know. We were tight, so I said, "Let me take the lead on this," because I'd I'd seen Don do this now for like two or three months. You know, I'm I'm an expert.
1: <laughs>
0: so I pull the card out and I whip it in front of him, Tony, and I say, "Tom." I noticed that you signed your card at the luncheon the other day, that you prayed to accept Jesus Christ in your life. What did you mean by that? And I mean to tell you, he just, he shut down on me. He just, I could just see it in his body language. He wanted nothing to do with this whole situation. I pressed him, and I pressed him, and he said, you know, I'm not going to do anything without my wife. i got to go home and talk to her. And, and he just, he walked out on me. I learned a couple things from that, just practical things. One is you don't, you're not to be offensive. I was offensive. I didn't intend to be, but maybe it's a little bit of my style. But, and I slapped that card down in front of him. Um, nowadays, when I office call, I don't even take the card in. Just a safety measure. I don't, I don't even want to take the card in. But so here I am living next to this guy. It's four years. Four years later, I work up the courage to invite him again. That's a long time to live next to the guy when you...
1: Yeah.
0: But this time, I had my ducks in a row. I mean, I was... You talk about apologetics. And I told my wife, I said, I don't care what objection Tom comes up with this time. I've got an answer for it. I I was confident. And I said to her, I said, he's not going to worm out this time. He's not going to weasel out. We're going to get him. I picked him up in my vehicle to take him to the luncheon. This is set up. Took him over to this country club where we are having a luncheon and a guy named Bob Foster was talking. Bob gets done talking. I hadn't seen the card, I didn't know what he did, but I didn't care what the card said. I was going after him. Come out of the country club, sit down in my car, hit the power door locks. (laughs) And I said, Tommy, what did you think of the speaker? Because I'm ready to let him have it, right? The opening question. For the next 30 minutes, I didn't get a word in edgewise. He proceeded to tell me how he'd just accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior because of the message that, you know, that the speaker delivered and just went on and on and on and I didn't get a chance to use any of those objections that I had. <laughs> My point is, if the Holy Spirit's at work in the guy's life, just expose him to the power of the word. Apologetics are fine. But he was going to come to the kingdom, whether I took him to the luncheon or not. The best thing I could do for him, and I did, as I said, now Tommy, two things, you know. <laughs> and then I got him into Operation Timothy. So I just, I just used that as a personal example, expose him to the message of the gospel, the word of the cross. And that's how you get your disciple. You can go out and pick one up that's been running around, in the kingdom for a number of years and that's possible and occasionally I get some of those but by and large the ones that I get that are really hungry that are really teachable you grow your own you say God send them to me that's where they come from and it's fun it's a kick nothing better, nothing better. I, would, I would agree with that some of these other scriptures we won't go to um, we talked about Luke 14 today you know uh, I think Lee got that question, the cost of discipleship. It can cost you everything. Uh, Luke 12. Luke 12 tells you, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you exactly what you need at that point in time. Now, guys, this is not a, a license to get off of the hook for, for doing your study and for growing in the Word. But God's going to empower your speech. Go ahead and learn all the methodology that you want. I'm big on that. I like all, I like to hear what guys are, are saying for engaging people in, in, in spiritual conversations. But recognize it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. And in 1 Corinthians 3, we, 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 I think we'd mentioned that earlier too. That neither Paul or Apollos are anything. One plants, one waters. But who causes the growth? Scott. He just lets us participate. He will raise these people up in spite of us. But if we miss out on the action, if we're too busy, wrapped around the axle with the cares of the world, we're going to miss the opportunity. We're going to miss out on the eternal rewards. And the present joy of seeing new growth in Christ. Do you not enjoy seeing a man with a changed life? I hear you guys say, I love these testimonies. That is evidence of a man with a changed life. Are we doing on time, Jim? All right, ten minutes. Ten, Stephen. Actually, hold on a second. That's not. I already did. That's okay. Twenty. I don't have that much material. (laughs) Ten. Ten sounds better. Question? Oh. I should come up for it. You. you guys any questions? Walt's really good about asking for questions. Feel free. What do you do with a guy when he expresses an interest in spiritual things? <coughs> How do you get involved in the guy's life? This this is just one guy's example. This is what was modeled to me over the last 21 years. It's not the only way. But somebody said earlier, we, we don't see any modeling. And so when I was talking with Jim, he said, just show him what you do. So this is just one way to do it. It's not the only way. But, but I want to just kind of walk through this with you. If this guy is Joe Pagan and he just came to Christ. The first thing I want to do with him for me is I want to take him through first steps. What is first steps? It's four units and it really helps solidify the guy in in his conversion. What have I just done? I don't know about you guys, but when this guy led me to Christ in this parking lot In one of the busiest intersections of Colorado Springs and got in his car and drove away, I sit down in my car and I said, what have I just done? (laughs) You know, have I committed intellectual suicide? And then I just said a prayer. I said, God, if this is for real, let's get on with it. And we did. First steps. What does it talk about? Four questions. What are they? Is the Bible credible? Um, Who is Jesus Christ? What are the works of Christ? How do I know I have eternal life in Christ? Something along those lines, right? Really basic foundational questions. Doesn't take long to get through that with a guy. He doesn't even have to have a Bible. But notice, when you get in there, it's got scripture passages already written in there. He didn't even have to have a Bible. Now, my preference is I prefer to give him a Bible if he doesn't have one. Because I want him to start getting familiar with looking him up those passages up in the Bible, but he doesn't even have to have a Bible. That's pretty non-threatening. And you get him in there and you start having him read scripture from day one when you when you meet with him. So that takes about a month. After that, I say, "Okay, you." I don't say, "Are you ready to raise the bar?" Because I don't want to drive him off. I don't want him to know about this this method to my madness yet, you know. <laughs> I say the next book is Operation Timothy, and there's really two of these. Many of you guys have seen these. Several of you guys are going through this right now, as I understand it. Twelve units. Foundational issues to the faith. Great book. I've tried, the, and you've got both series over there. You've got the new series, and you've got the old series. I tried the new series... For about three years, and now I'm back to the old series. I I just I like it simple. You know, I don't mind looking at pictures, but I don't have to have them. And so I went back to the to the old series. And this requires a guy to get his Bible. Okay? Normally, normally I'll spend one to two years in Operation Timothy. Because what happens when you get a guy in Timothy? Issues come up in his life, and so you spend time on those issues. For example, in the last three or four years, I've had like four guys came to Christ and they're living with a woman who's not their wife. Used to be I'd gun them down right away. Now I've decided, okay, God, I can't tell if I'm ministering in the flesh or in the spirit. So here's my agreement. You bring it up. You let that man bring it up when it becomes an issue in his conscience. In the meantime, I'm going to try to stay silent on it. Now, some of you may disagree with me on that. This most recent guy, it took him six months to bring up the fact, as we're going through Timothy, he says, what do you think about me living with Jennifer? I said, uh, Scott, it doesn't make any difference what I think. Let's see what God says about it. And so for the next two weeks, we we sidelined. We got off of this. Where do we go? Right here. For two weeks, we spent saying, what does God have to say about sexual immorality? Man, he was convicted. He went home and told her she had to move out.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the good news is my wife picked her up and discipled her. Now they're married. They're married uh, a year ago. Um, but... Amen. And they're both walking with the Lord. So, the point is, it takes a while. You know my next-door neighbor? Yeah. He never did. Two years, he never did finish this thing. So, I don't know where he's at. Uh, I'm just joking. He did not finish it. He holds the record right now. <laughs> two years. We, but we moved him on. We have moved him on. And we just... I don't know that's it's important that you get all the way through this. You just got to get the guy in the Word. From there, we go to what I really... I really have a kick with this. And you guys were exposed to them at the workshops. This ministry in the marketplace series. This is a great tool. I mean, I use this for believers. I use it for non-believers. You know, when you come across guys who are Christians, but they've never been discipled, and, and maybe they've been walking with the Lord four, five, six years, young guys, and, and they're just, they're just kind of hanging out there. What a, what a great way to hook them in. And I use the three B's with this thing. Three Bs that you got—you got to have with this. You got to have the book, you got to have the Bible, and you got to bring a brown bag lunch. And my, my style is—we're going to get three, four, five, six guys together. I've had as many as, as twelve. in, in we'll get together. I go every other Tuesday over the lunch hour. That just just my style. Come to the office in the conference room get them together, and we just start tearing these things apart. And I'll spend about two years with them, and normally I'll get through uh, two or or three of these books. I'll usually get through purpose, work, and maybe a little of the profit motive. And then what do I do? I raise the bar. But after after a couple years of looking at this stuff, And and this thing, these deal with some issues that if they don't get their arms around, I'm convinced they're going to pop their head up, these issues will, and they will not be effective at discipling other guys, and and they will not become completers of the race. Gentlemen, it is difficult enough, from my observation, at 55 years of age, to be a completer of this race. I have, we were talking about this at at dinner tonight, I keep saying, Lord, I'm, I'm running low on capacity. You know? I, I don't know how I can do this. And he says, I know. Keep doing it. He says, I'll give you what you need. If, if we don't get these things in focus about what is our unique purpose, why are we going to work, if we don't understand that profit motive, if we don't understand that it's legitimate to work for rewards... If we're not content with letting God establish our standard of living in this life in exchange for us having everything to say about our eternal rewards, if we don't understand that, we're going to waste our time. As my friend likes to say, we'll get to heaven, God will look at us, and he'll say, Mark, great grades, wrong courses. You don't want that to happen, happen, do you? No. Eternity's a long time. This life is—I don't. I'm not a mathematician, but it's—it is not very long. And as I see it unfolding, as I see, as I see my kids who are now 32, 28, and 25, and I'm the same. Where did the time go? It's moving quickly. It's like the blink of an eye. So I'd raise the bar from ministry in the marketplace. I raised the bar. We get into this book. We we call it the S&I book. I don't know why we call it S&I, but the guys just kind of labeled that S&I. Studying, interpreting, and implying the Bible. I would never have been able come up with this on my own. The rules of interpretation, the steps to studying and applying. It is a wealth of information. I take the guys that I've gathered out of these Ministry in the Marketplace studies. I say, guys, it's time to raise the bar. Some of you won't buy in, I know, but some of you will and we go to what we call a fission study, call it an inductive study, where they learn how to tear the Bible apart, study it on their own. We really up the ante with Scripture memory. Most of us don't like Scripture memory, but there's something about having that word treasured in your heart. Nobody can take it away from you. It's a commitment. I've got two years down here. I've got a syllabus that we use for it, and it's really 18 lessons, but we kind of slack off a little in the summertime and don't meet as frequently. So it takes, the better part, takes about 20, 22 months to get through that. And they know in advance what the commitment is. In our case, once a month, we meet from 12 to 4 on a Thursday afternoon. Now they're carving time out of their workday for this. You're, you're going to tell if these guys are committed or not. Some guys can't do that because of their job. i got another buddy where he'll do it on a Saturday morning, and he'll meet every other week, or he'll do it of an evening for two hours and meet every other week. I prefer guys that are going to carve time. To to me, that's a commitment. If if they understand the value of this during the workday, I may have a serious guy. We have a little fallout, but it's not much. Somewhere along about the uh, 12th or 14th month, I plant the seed. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to raise the bar. You starting to get the picture? Then we go to a Roman study. I had the privilege of sitting with some of the guys in here, Jim and Winston and, and, and Walt, really modeled this for us years ago. Um, So it's incumbent upon us to continue to model that. Perhaps the greatest single book of Christian doctrine in the Bible, Romans. You heard uh, Winston mention earlier, those of you within the question and answer session, he just thinks that book is, is foundational, and I agree with him. But what happens to guys as they go along here? What are they doing? They're in the Word. We, we keep them in the Word. We encourage them to continue. Usually along about here, I notice them picking up their first guy somewhere in Operation Timothy, and I encourage them to do that. By the time they get down into Ephesians, most of them are teaching their own Bible studies on a weekly basis. We don't wait till we get all the way through this, because you're looking at six or eight years that you've invested in that man. He's more than qualified to, to work with the Timothy right up here. So we don't want him to wait. What,
1: what you
2: do when, Toby, yeah. Yeah, what you do when people around you or people that you're approaching, you have a clear intention to fellowship with them, like he thinks he, he has Christ.
0: I need, I need a speaker, I need a microphone. What do you do? Are we on, Matt?
2: What do you do when you come to come across a person who you intend to disciple with them, but he himself believed that he has Christ in him?
0: He has Christ in him? Yeah,
2: he's telling you, I'm a believer. I believe in God. I believe Great. in Christ.
0: Have you ever been disciple one on one? I ask him that. What does he respond to that?
2: I'm sure he'll say no.
0: I found that for me, it was very important just to have another man I could sit down with on a regular basis and walk through some of the basic issues in Scripture that might apply to my life and help me grow. Would you be interested in that opportunity? What does he say? Yes or no, then... (laughs) If he says yes, we do it. If he says no, what do I do? i move on. I'm not going to drag him. Either the Holy Spirit's at work in him and he's interested or he's not. Now, I may circle back around with him. I keep him in my suspense list and I may just circle back around with him later on. I'm a little bit persistent, but but I'm not going to drag him in there.
2: In in reality, we are surrounded by Christians in the church and in the marketplace, but those of us taking an extra steps to come here and to learn more. Mm-hmm. But others aren't like that
0: understand not all are going to follow this call remember when Jesus had done some particularly difficult teaching and it said in the scripture that day many of his followers turned and walked away and he looked at Peter he said Peter are you going to follow them are you going to leave too what would Peter say where would, where, where would he go guys we're boxed out We don't have any options. That's the mindset we have to take. There are no other options. If you want to finish this race, you cannot go to the sideline and tiptoe safely to death and expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. There's nowhere in scripture it gives us license to go to the sideline. Does that help? Not everybody's gonna buy in. I know I'm desperate, but
2: you are too, and others are... Microphone? I know I'm desperate about Christ, and mm-hmm. I know you are, and I can see that, and I know most of us are here too. All of us are here too. But I, I that's, that's the prayer in my mind. I hope another man come to, uh, you bet. Desire. My heart hurts. It aches
0: when I see a man walk away. Well, well said. But I, I can't take any more responsibility for him. I, I can't if he decides no, then, like I say, I may circle back with him. in all likelihood, I probably will. Um, but here's another thing, guys. We are not the only game in town. There are other guys out there. That are doing something similar to this. So don't think you've got a corner on it. This is... But you have been introduced to it. Up here at the beach for a number of years. Those of you first timers. You know, the scripture says you're responsible for what you know. Now that you know this, you got a decision to make. If you buy into it. If you believe, if you believe the word of God, that is your call To evangelize and disciple, you got a decision to make. And I would suggest to you, most of your excuses are pretty lame. Mine too. I love you, but my heart aches if you're not taking it and participating, if you're not getting a piece of the action. It is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. We make it too complicated. So again, this is just an example. I just wanted to give you a, one method. Hopefully it'll give you a vision for, for what can be done just to practically implement this discipleship program. Where do I take a man? What do I do with him? Each step is intended to get your guy into the word. Why do we do it this way? There is a systematic progression. We're raising that bar, helping these guys mature in the Word, mature in the relationship with with Christ, know more about the character of God. But man, every step of the way, we're getting them into the Word. This is where the power is. I am living proof that you don't have to be a persuasive speaker. You don't have to have slick words. I do believe in this. Stephen, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Abide, that word is meno. It means to stay. Continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain. If you abide in my word, this is one of the conditions. It's not the only condition, but this is one of the conditions of being a disciple. By keeping guys involved in these studies, what are we doing? They're abiding in the word. They've got to prepare. And it takes 20 hours on those inductive studies. We ask them for 20 hours a month, preparation. Preparation. I don't know about you, but my college experience didn't come close to that. (laughs) Stephen? I have no license to be right on this last slide, but waiting until you are equipped or waiting until you think you are equipped is probably what I should have put there before you're willing to disciple a man might be presumption on your part you might be saying to God I'm I'm not going to do anything until I I think I'm equipped and what does Paul say to Timothy his young disciple 1 Timothy 4:12 he says Timothy Do not apologize for your youthfulness. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Guys, I'm two weeks into my walk and God gives me a disciple. I'm nothing special. That's the program of God. Just stay one week ahead of them. That's all you've got to do. The power is in the Word of God. You want to be a disciple of men? Think lost. Be intentional about it. Get into His Word. He'll give you a guy, and, and he'll give you what you need when you need it. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for uh, who you are, the fact that you've given us your word. Father, I would pray for each and every man here, that if he's on the fence about this issue of discipleship, of evangelism, that you would uh, knock him off the fence, that you would just uh, lovingly show him that uh, the power is not within the flesh. The power is in the word. Lord we have seen you work mightily in, in the, the lives of men and the lives of men in this room let us not be timid let us not apologize but step out in faith being intentional about this e squared and Lord we just thank you in advance for what you're about to do in Jesus name amen thank you I personally appreciate how we do it um,
1: or how it's done here uh,